0: Hello and welcome to the Red Net, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. Joining us today as ever is Steve Carson and Rick Elliott and of course myself, Farrell Keeling. So Liverpool currently find themselves second in the league table, a point adrift of leaders Chelsea are following a somewhat dramatic two-all draw with Manchester City at the weekend. Sadly though, the international break has once again reared its ugly head and will be without domestic football for another week or so. But in the meantime, there's some good news because we can get a look back at that stalemate with Pep Guardiola's men and a wonderful Mo Salah goal. A game of two halves. Is that fair to say, Steve?
1: Yeah, definitely so. I think um, I love James Milner, but I think that first half performance was was the first time I've, I've thought James Milner's done anything less than a 7 out of 10 performance. He was... He was awful in that first half. Thankfully, you know, something happened at half time. I know Klopp doesn't shout at the players. I'm sure he had a very nice, measured conversation. But, uh, yeah, particularly James Milner was probably... And Curtis Jones wasn't all that impressive either. But, it, you know, it's sort of one of them games for a player like him where it might be a little bit out of his depth and he's kind of rushed, forced into the situation where there's like a navigator completely fit to probably be playing instead. But, yeah, no, definitely a game of two halves that that first half. Although we sort of had a little bit of... Um, a little bit of attack and flair we just we just weren't getting into the game we started relatively okay in the first 5 minutes and then city just grew as time went on once the half time whistle came I was I was relieved and then yeah like you say came out in the second half a, a completely different beast we looked like liverpool again uh, and then between us and city probably put in the best 45 minutes of football we'll see all this season
0: no absolutely and i think um i mean we took talk- Talks obviously, about the Mo Salah goal. You know, it's it seems that, you know, th- this this one goal created this reaction across outlets beyond Merseyside, where, where suddenly people suddenly awaken to the brilliance of Mo Salah. Now, ov- obviously, you know, we, we've been ranting and raving about Mo Salah for, for years now. We, we all knew he was brilliant from day dot. But then, you know, I mean, what, what did you make of the goal, Rick? And what, what did you make of this sudden... I don't know, just this sudden rush of enlightenment of, like, neutrals and pundits beyond Liverpool.
2: I mean, it's one of his best.
0: Like, you know, it's it's definitely on the list of, of one of his
2: best goals for the club. I mean, it's just, you know, he, he walks his way through a sea of players. Like, that's something that you just don't, you don't see all that often, just to sort of just, like he's gliding through the matrix, you know, from the angle that he's at every element is against him and he still manages to beat the keeper you know it's it it's a shame that we kind of wasted the the magician nickname on Coutinho because you know when when Salah is is pulling these kind of goals out of out of a hat literally every week every match that's probably a more fitting person to to be attributing that kind of nickname to but you yeah that that goal deserved to be the winner in any other game. You know, the opposition heads drop, uh, the Anfield crowd normally kind of carries us home, but like, unfortunately, it just, it just didn't. But yeah, I mean, like, like the the, the media finally sort of picking up on that just how good he is. Um, and I know that's that's kind of been fed through a lot of ex Liverpool players on Sky and and whatnot that are you know really banging the drum. But you know, like I think the world is finally cottoning on to the fact that, you know, he's within, he's in the top three. It could easily be the top player at, at this current moment in time.
0: You know, you just got to soak it in. I mean, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? I, I mean, I've, I've got a few Chelsea fans who are friends of mine, and you know, I still get the old Hazard dig. You know, oh, you know Hazard's better than Salah, and all this, all this rubbish, and. <sighs> You know, there's still this element of like underappreciation, you know, around him. You know, even though like you know, we've had comparisons, loads of pundits have come out and said, you know, the goal was Messi-esque, you know. And there's been, there was this bizarre talk the other day about how you know the cop doesn't idolise Salah, you know, almost as if you know they've sort of tried to cover their tracks over the fact that they've not appreciated him for this long. So we'll just blame Liverpool fans and say, no, 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 that you didn't appreciate him. We always knew he was brilliant. I mean, Steve. What do you make of this? This sort of this attitude. It. it I mean, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I,
1: it, it it does definitely stink of like you know the media generally speaking, and um, certainly the neutral media. Uh, ask any Liverpool fan. Salah has been idolised for many years now. No one underappreciates Mohamed Salah at Liverpool. Um, maybe there's a pocket of fans that you know ha- have in the past, but we're talking about the minority, but you get that in any fan base. It's it's no. The media underwriting Salah is, is their own fault. It's, it's got nothing to do with the before fans. Um, you know, we've been, we've been calling them the Egyptian king for years. There's been jokes that we're going to build pyramids in the city centre next to the lava building. You know, we love Salah. We all do. Um, And yeah, no, this is, any suggestion otherwise is daft. Um, Salah is up there with Messi and Ronaldo right now. We, Right now, he's probably the best football player in the world. That might only last for so long before another player has a good run of form. But right now, based on current form, he's the best football player in the world. Um, and I was speaking to a Manchester United fan the other day, who I will uh, leave unnamed. Um, but I was speaking to him, and he said um, after the game, uh, Liverpool versus Man City, that he would swap Messi for uh, not Messi. He would swap Ronaldo for Salah. Uh, give him the chance right now if he could, and they said, "Well, we're not going to give you that chance." To be honest with you, because we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that chance at all. Um, the man scores uh, 3 tappings and wins Player of the Month, while Salah puts in performances esque of the best ever season Messi's uh, achieved. And yeah, well, you know, no, there's there's no comparison. Salah is idolized by Liverpool fans. It's, it's that, yeah,
2: that just shows you how much of like a PR campaign. It all is with a with a whole player of the month. Like nine times out of ten, it's it's just whoever from the biggest club is up for, in the running. I mean, the, there are some times where you know you just have to appreciate a, a player from the likes of say no disrespect to them, but Watford or you know Norwich or whoever that when when they have a, a really good streak, you know the, the most of the time it kind of gets forgotten about because. Kevin De Bruyne or, or you know, Ronaldo have just sort of, like you said, scored a few tap-ins. And it's it's wrong. But, I mean, at the end of the day, people are more likely to tune in. The, the reality is more people are likely to tune into the Man City's, the Liverpool's, the Man United's, than they are against the bottom teams. And so when it comes to a public-decided vote, well, you go by what you've seen, and the, the ones you've seen are usually... No, I, you know, the,
0: the, the ones that probably weren't the best of the month. No, I've, I completely agree. I think it's, it's almost a bizarre... I mean, you might have been better off having someone like Mikel Antonio ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo getting player of the month, if not the obvious choice in our eyes being a centelar. But, of course, one man who isn't as underappreciated on a national scale um, is, of course, Jurgen Klopp, who has now come up to six years at Liverpool. I think it's fair to say he's taken us all from doubters to believers would you say steve
1: yeah absolutely yeah i mean i remember the news first coming through that yeah and clopper became the new liverpool manager and you know we, we've always been a big club we will always be a big club but the the, the state that the club was in uh, and had been in for a while we had no right to get a manager of his caliber at that time and Jürgen Klopp over the last six years has managed to actually improve as a manager which, which is hard to believe because he took Borussia Dortmund to a Champions League final. He managed to overtake Bayern in the in the Bundesliga um, and he's came to Liverpool and he's gone one better. He's won the Champions League with Liverpool, our tournaments, you know, in the Premier League. That is our tournament, that is the one that we win um, and he's got the Premier League title after 30 years of... of, of attempts and really good players you know we had over a decade of Steven Gerrard and we weren't able to get their Premier League title it evaded us for that long and Jürgen yeah, Klopp's came in and he's built this just this team of warriors to be honest with you just an absolute perfect 11 and beyond uh, it's not just the 11 on the pitch it's also the bench as well that he's, that he's sort of sculpted and it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, we are living in, in an era that will be talked about for the rest of our lives and probably for the vast majority of our kids' lives as well.
0: No, I, I think, I mean, you've got to look at that starting eleven for when he first took over the club. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> it, it beggars belief once you, once you compare it to what we have now. You've got Simon Mignolet in goal, Nathaniel Klein, Martin Skirschel, Mamadou Sacco, Alberto Marino in defence, Lucas, Emre Shahn, James Milner... And then sort of up top, Philip Coutinho, Adam Lallana, Divock Origi. I will spare you the subs bench, Rick, but I mean, the, the, the jump from, from that is astronomical. So
2: I think we can all agree that the Liverpool fan base over the last couple of months during the last transfer window were like, look, this needs freshening up a little bit, you know, we need some, a little bit of more in midfield. We need a little bit more in the forwards, but I mean, most teams would snap your hand off for what we have. And the fact that we're still like, you know, in, in the top three, um, I can't, we're, you know, we're still sort of in that fight for the title in a squad that most fans a couple of a couple of months ago were saying, "Oh, it's you know, it's it needs a bit more life in it." I mean, that just says everything you need to know about the squad that he's assembled. It's just that good. It's go it goes all the way down to its bones. It's just you know, it's a thoroughbred squad um, that's capable of pushing and pushing beyond its. I you, you can see when the likes of Catenio. Now, uh, like when he when he left, it suddenly became a case of he'd been achieving beyond the sum of his you know own skill within that squad. It was the harmony of everything. It was the you know the belief and determination and courage. And then as soon as you bring an element of that out of that scenario and put it in a new squad, a new player in a new squad that is used to winning everything and just like, you know, the, the determination isn't necessarily there, it soon becomes obvious that, you know, the Klopp is working miracles with these players. There's countless examples of of players that have just sort of gone and left. Like, well, I mean, we've tried to retain as many as possible, but like, you know, for the most part, these players go off and they
0: don't achieve anywhere near the level of success that they have. With us, I suppose the famous example would be, I mean, from from his days at Borussia Dortmund, would be Mario Goetze. You know, mm. it's you've obviously got examples that have done extremely well. You've got uh, Robert Lewandowski, um, but you know, I, the players who leave Klopp tend to regret it. Mm. W- you know, would you agree on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like I, I don't want to keep bringing up Coutinho because I realise <laughs> that this is like the third time I brought up Coutinho today. But like, uh, it's just. Uh, you know, that, that whole chat that they allegedly had of, like, if you stay here, you'll be a legend. If you go there, you'll just be another player. And it's it's so true. It's almost as if he was saying, like, look, I'm the one who's making you the legendary player, not you. And I mean, that's a bit disrespectful to, you know... I mean, Coutinho obviously has some footballing ability, but, like, it's... Like I said, it, it's bringing everything together in is in this perfect combination of sports science and nutrition and the facilities and i mean most most clubs have got world-class facilities these days but you know what i mean it's just like the 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 logic that klopp had with the with the architects of of the new training center of being right we're gonna lock everything down and you have to earn your keep and you have to earn your pass to get through the door to get to the next stage and it's breeding that winning mentality all the way through from academy through to the first team and that's you know i we we all fear the day that klopp leaves but it's things like that that make me fearful for when like he goes it's not just like oh well you know in-game tactician stuff it, it's more the bigger picture that. You know, I'm not saying that club run uh, the the club is run by Klopp. I'm just saying that, like, you know, there's his personality and his ideas are interweaved with all elements, and it's just like uh, Liverpool is the perfect club for Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp is the perfect manager for Liverpool Football Club.
0: Absolutely, and I think off the back of that, I think I'd love to um, get your favorite moment. Of the German during his six years in charge of Liverpool,
1: I think uh, I'll, I'll just go first. Um, I think um, go for it, Steve. <laughs> you know, it's 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 very low hanging fruit, but it, it just it by far is it's after the Barcelona game, the whole it's it, was, it wasn't just Jurgen, but it was sort of that like we we saw it. People have joked about it with with the the draw against West Brom. But anyone who saw it, I believe it was West Brom. Um, Yeah,
2: yeah. if it was the lineup at the very end.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the entire squad went over to to thank the cop for its support uh, and the whole of uh, the Liverpool fan base, of course, but the cop in in specific. Um, That was sort of like foreshadowing the aftermath of beating Barcelona in the Champions League, where um, the whole sort of lineup went up to. The cop and they all started singing You Never Walk Alone together. A few of the players were crying, a few of the fans were crying. I was probably crying. There was a lot going on, you know. and I feel like that moment right there is sort of, it really will be, you know, in a few years' time when Jurgen Klopp's moved on, he's doing whatever he is, sabbatical or, you know, another club, national team, whatever. Um, we'll look back at that. I think that moment is probably the quintessential um, Jurgen Klopp moment um, at Liverpool. So, yeah, it's not so much a specific moment uh, other than just sort of that feeling i would say after the barcelona game when the whole players are just in unison with the uh, with the fan base and it's easy to say that you would get that with most clubs but you don't you don't the the, the entire team has to be unified in such a way that they would do something like that the other teams would just dive into the, the the dressing room and start celebrating with champagne and stuff but the players stopped to thank the the fans and they all sang together and it was it was a it was a beautiful moment you know
2: Rick, can you top that? I, I can't top that. And I won't, I won't attempt to top that. Uh, all I'll say is Quintessential Clock was the very first interview he did. Like, we need to change from doubters to believers. And that is something that's stuck all the way through. Um, and he's just sort of given us this uh, new perspective on life. Uh, I don't know whether I should be admitting this on a podcast, but like uh, uh, one of the reasons why I broke up with an ex girlfriend was because she said that I was too pessimistic uh, with with my outlook on life, and I'd like to think that ever since Klopp has come in and Liverpool's sort of fortunes have changed, that I've started to see a new way of of seeing life in general, and it's that sort of. You know th- those things that I can't. Like, it's not. A, it's not a, a tangible moment per se, but it's that just general belief. I will also say that um, again on that sort of like before he's even kicked, like, like helped us kick a ball. You know, I remember just sort of watching the the plane tracker when we you know absolutely destroyed the the flight tracking website and seeing him fly over. You know, my old my old community, my old school. And like, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't even like set foot there. He's literally just flown over there. And it's already like, I love this man, you know? And yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's just so many moments running and hugging Allison, the sitting on the bus, counting to six, almost falling over on the bus. You, you, you love the man. I, I love the man more than most people most family members to be honest like that is just how much i love jürgen klopp i can't yeah you know, the, the day he leaves will be a very sad day for me similar so i might the- have to go back to my pessimistic and pessimistic ways oh dear <laughs> the, um, yeah the, the similar to the, of the the celebrate
1: but allison would have been a bit earlier I think it was in his first couple of seasons when um, I think Adam Alana scored uh, goal. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he gestured for Alana to come over. And after the squad jumped on him, he lost his glasses. And it was just. No, that
0: was
2: the, N- the Norwich
1: one. Where yeah, the yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think he broke
2: was... his glasses from yeah. that as well. <laughs> he <he's
0: laughs> broke broken his glasses. Yeah, like a
2: Rigue, this... like, elbowed him accidentally or something. Yeah, I think he's broken his glasses like twice now, hasn't he? I think, like, didn't he break his glasses with the the Mane one? Or was that. Or am I believing, misbelieving it?
1: It sounds familiar. I'm going to say yes. Uh,
2: but there are, there, there are a, a set of broken glasses in the Liverpool Museum, I think. Oh, there you go. But uh,
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, naturally, what are you saying? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, mean, it's, 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 I think it's, as, as you've rightly pointed out, sort of low-hanging fruit, but I think the West Brom draw just encapsulates, I don't know, just the co-op experience you know, even, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, you could fit, like, it's such a special moment because it was so, you know, every, everyone in the national media was panning it. we were like, you're celebrating a 2 old draw with West Brom. They couldn't see the reason behind it, just the draw. And everything that followed, you know, building that connection back with the fan base. You know, I mean, it, it's, it, it goes almost without saying, but, you know, it's... Klopp is a Liverpool manager to his core. It's in his DNA from his... His politics to his style of football, we could not have possibly have gotten a more perfectly suited manager for Liverpool Football Club. It just it doesn't exist at this moment in time, and obviously that presents something of a problem um, when his contract expires in three years' time. Um, but that's a story for another time. For now, I'm just going to jump over. Uh, to a recent uh, update from reliable gold journalist Neil Jones. Uh, he's had a chat with Redman TV about uh, a target we've been relatively long linked with in Federico Chiesa. Um, well, I've actually got his quote here for you all, if you'd like to bear with me. So, he said, I'm pretty sure there was no inkling of it in the summer, but if there was an opportunity to get him at a decent price in future, I think Liverpool would certainly want to be looking at it. Whether that opportunity emerges is another thing. In Chiesa's case, especially, the one thing you would say is that he fits the bill as a livable player in everything but availability, and that's a pretty significant bit. Now, obviously, he's got a loan deal with Juventus that expires uh, next summer, but the expectation is he's, he's going to sign a permanent deal with Juventus. That's the way it's going. I mean... Well, what do you make of the, make of this, Steve? I mean, could you see this potentially evolving into political interest down the line or is it sort of, you know, we just need to move on at this point?
1: I think it'd be a difficult one to try and prize Chiesa from Juventus. Like you say, the expectation and I believe obligation is that he will actually sign for Juventus at the end of this loan deal. Um, certainly Italian media talk about Chiesa as if he is already a Juventus player. Um, obviously he is, but, you know, loan deal and stuff like that. Um yeah, it's going to be very hard to, to get that sort of, like, gem from the Italian crown. Like, the, the only way I, I see it going would be, obviously, Juventus aren't enjoying a particularly fruitful patch at the minute. They're struggling a little bit in Serie A. They weren't exactly great in Serie A last season. If they sort of continue on the downward trajectory, they could be in a position where, not financially, but just sort of from a tactic side of points, where Chiesa could be maybe moved on because but I mean that's that's really big speculation we're talking about a massive football club here that is always going to be at the top very um, difficult to sign a player like Chiesa especially with how he's regarded in Italy as I say and yeah he, he's on his way up um, and it really just depends on what's going on with Juventus but the money that it would take to sign Chiesa as well it's it doesn't seem like a Liverpool signing unless there's some sort of I don't know when he joins. When he joins Juventus, um, depends on the deal he signs. We, we could be waiting some time. It, it just doesn't seem like it to me. And based on the quote there from Neil Jones, to me it seems like what he's saying is more like we've discussed in previous podcasts where it's like you know Liverpool should be interested in a player like that should they become available. It's a lot of shoulds and what ifs and stuff like that. But it's like yeah, if Chiesa became on the market, Liverpool would be stupid to not be interested. I think it's just a bit, a bit like that, but he's obviously phrased it a bit
0: nicer. I mean, speaking of what ifs, and I'm, I'm going to dip into a few of those, if you'll forgive me. Um, obviously, financially speaking, a lot of leagues around Europe suffered immensely as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the Premier League sort of got away with it due to the TV deal um, at hand, but um, according to sort of recent reports, I think Juventus specifically lost. Um, 210 million euros uh, due to COVID, which sort of, I, I suppose, raises the suggestion of you know, could could they be tempted to sell an asset like Yeza to sort of you know make a dent in that sort of uh, that debt? Um, I mean, Rick, you know, if if it sort of came about and they were like you know, look, we've got to make a profit here, 50, 60 million, you know, is that is that the sort of signing we should be going for? It, are the conditions at Liverpool potentially even favourable to accommodate that? So you know
2: how a few moments ago I said that I was too pessimistic, and that <laughs> Jürgen Pop had given me a new insight on life. So for sixty, seventy million, I think that's it's it's too too high of a value uh, for us to even go anywhere near that, unless we sold a player. To help facilitate that kind of a move, I mean, it's not out of out of our our, our reach, our, our scope. You know, we've we've made those signings before. We've made them with Allison. We've made them with Van Dyke. It's just the fact that we don't necessarily go out of our way and go right here's our budget. We're going to buy that kind of player, unless there is some sort of release clause where it's like a this is your chance you get him now or you get him never um and so like you know i, I mean with those kind of i mean uh kanate this th- this summer that's just gone i mean it's it's like i think that's pretty much our our reach when it's like we yes we were pressed for that kind of purchase in that area but you know we, there was there was no um Player sale to help facilitate that, really. Um, so it's like you know, in terms of just pure budget spending, pure pure budget, no incomings in that mix. Yeah, you know, forty mil is probably our, our max limit. Um, you know, we're not going to push ourselves into debt just to try and get these uh, additional players. We're not going to strain ourselves financially but on the flip side like i said if it's not it's not out of our re- remit to to go out there and buy these kind of high level players if the conditions are right i just don't see the conditions being right for Chiesa. Uh, it's just like you know i i can't see us selling anyone to a, to give us that buffer to then throw 70 odd million at him i don't see us uh, necessarily Needing him really um, when you can easily get like there's a so in the film Moneyball, I, I'm just you know, I'm just throwing out references here, there, and everywhere. But in the movie Moneyball, at the very start of the film, they're like kind of describing the scenario that the Oakland days are in, and it's like, you know, there's the good clubs. And I mean, this is great for audio because you can't see my hand sort of like sliding down this like, you know, bar. But, you know, you've got the good clubs, you've got the okay uh, clubs, you've got a load of shit. And then there's us. That's kind of like us in terms of our finances, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's what we want to be doing is we need we want to be. I mean, the whole point of why the owners came in and bought the club was because they thought that they could use that sort of money ball tactic of buying these players dirt cheap when they're on the rise so that we can get them at their peak. And I mean, that has happened to some extent. That's what's happening with Salah. That's what's happening with Mane. But I think Chiesa is already over that sort of uh you know we we're we're, we're we're looking through the 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 crap layer of players for a gem, and that that opportunity's already gone with chiesa he's 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 out of that bracket he's now playing with the good clubs you know with with Juventus and there's no clawing him back from there, even if you know there is some sort of scenario where, you know, Juve are like, well, we need to, you know, get some money off, uh, money off the books somewhere. Let's get rid. Like they'll still be asking for a fairly high price because that's the whole point of it to try and reclaw as much money as possible. So they're not going to go, well, do you want him for 20 million? You know, it's just not, it's just not going to happen with him unfortunately. You know, I, think, I think that sort of ship sailed, as you say, the second Chiesa walked into Juventus
1: um, and away from Fiorentina, like I can say he's technically still a Fiorentina player uh, as a parent club, but um, with that obligation, if that was an option, you know, if there was an option to purchase Chiesa and then Juventus thought, actually, do you know what, you know, which would be daft of them, but if they did and they decided to fluff about with it, we obviously we could dive in on Fiorentina and maybe snatch him up on a bit of a cheap deal, but I think the only way that you could get um, Chiesa from Juventus in the next couple of years would be if someone decided to lump 90 mil on Salah and Salah like kicked up a big fuss and was like, Right, I want to go, I want to go join, let's say, Real Madrid. And they lump 90 mil, and then we go, We need to replace him quickly, and then oh, we'll get Chiesa. You know, it might be like the natural option, but that sort of unrealistic, sort of FIFA 22 situation. Like, you know,
2: yeah, I, and even then, I can't see was going for Chiesa, I think we would then go into a situation where it's like okay how much money did we get from Mo or Mane or whoever right okay let's add another 30 40 million on top of that and let's just go crazy and try and get because at that point it's like well you're losing your biggest asset in terms of marketability and all that all the stuff that comes with that you're you, you're losing your access to the um you know, the Egyptian um and African market, really. I mean, like, you know, you still got Mane, but you know what I mean. Like it's that's a massive chunk there um, that you'll you'll then losing through revenue streams. So it's like, well, okay, how do you how do you top that? You go for an Mbappe, you go for, you know, a Haaland, you go for someone who is definitely going to be the next big thing in terms of marketability. You know, it and it doesn't even need to be Necessarily, one of the best players on the planet right now. I mean, it would never happen because of who he plays for. But Marcus Rashford has that PR push behind him, excellent PR campaign, like with like, and he's got great social team. Who like, you know, it is a social team that's posting on his Twitter account because they accidentally let it slip a few days ago. But you know what I mean? Like, it's that it's that sort of like someone who is going to feature in Google adverts, uh, with, you know, on TV. And is, is that, you know, you, you're not going to get that from an Oxlade Chamberlain, for example, or a Diego Jota or someone like that. It, 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 it's, it, it's that finding someone that's going to sort of replace the hole that you've got. And
0: Chiesa doesn't do that. And I think, uh, I mean, there was a fantastic earlier Monable uh, reference and analogy. And speaking of things that are, Looking to uh, get above the bottom layer of crap. Um, moving on to Newcastle. So, uh, <laughs> so it's recently emerged that a Saudi Arabian backed takeover uh, led by a group financed by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, has a fi- it's in the process of, of, of a takeover of a Newcastle United. Um, obviously, Newcastle fans are absolutely overjoyed. I think Alan Shearer has come out and tweeted about that. You know his how pleased he is about the matter, but it's raised some concerns, um, across the country and some various groups within the country, uh, particularly over the nation's human rights record. You've, you've also got, um, reports that uh, the Crown Prince himself orchestrated, you know, a kill squad to murder a journalist who was critical of his regime. So, there, there's a lot of issues there. I mean. Steve, what what do you make of all this? Because you can understand why Newcastle fans are happy, particularly after, you know, over a decade of Mike Ashley's reign. But it, it raises questions about where this is all going and sort of where, I suppose, I mean, more specifically, what the Premier League screening process is like if we're allowing these kind of groups and individuals into, you know, financing clubs.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, just uh, on the off chance any Newcastle fans are listening to this, of course, you know, we're not, we're not upset that you're happy uh, to be rid of the former ownership because we understand that that, that was massively frustrating. Believe me, Liverpool fans can sort of sympathise with Newcastle fans on that one, um, and we're thrilled that that you know that kind of um, character is now gone. But he's been replaced. By arguably some, you know, something even worse, um, and you know, obviously there's there's the human rights problems and there's the you know the allegations of the the journalist situation and, and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I'll sort of you know, I'll attack it more purely in um, football in terms. Uh, we saw the Premier League kind of sold sold quite some time ago, and um, when you see the likes of you know, the ownership of Chelsea Football Club, first and foremost, not particularly, is spotless. Um, and then the ownership of Manchester City, definitely not spotless. Uh, and now it seems to have culminated in a situation where, you know, effectively, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia owns um, one of the biggest uh, football clubs in the country. Um, and basically, they can do what they want with really. it. Um, but purely from a football standpoint, um, it's, it's, you know... <laughs> To sort of um, quote the meme, I'm rapidly falling out of love for football. Um, it's again to the point now where you can buy your way to success, like Newcastle's new ownership. And I understand why fans are excited. Um, but um, they're in a position now where money is now just going to get pumped into the team. They're going to start buying all these players and from absolute obscurity. You know, Newcastle are now going to be catapulted to the top of the Premier League table into the Champions League. And, you know, I understand that the way that the football is going, that that might now be the only way you can really break into it, uh, the top level of the game. You know, I think the days, as quick, it's moving very quickly as well because I think the days of the Leicester City um, Premier League title, when I think, I think they're gone. Um, for the likes of Liverpool, you know, hopefully we can sort of stay, keep our head, keep our head above water in regard to that situation. Um, and continue to fight Manchester City Mark Two in Newcastle United. But um yeah, it's interesting times going forward and to be honest with you, it just I don't know I don't know about yourselves, but when situations like this happen, it just moves me away from my sort of love of the Premier League, the Premier League football. Um and that sort of Liverpool Football Club is attached to that. So it's it's quite an emotional um situation for all of us at the moment.
0: I think I mean I personally definitely agree. I mean that there is the emotional aspect behind it because you're sort of seeing that traditional sort of grassroots element to the game just being utterly eroded to the point of near extinction. You know, it, it's 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 obviously I mean this is well documented, but it's it's moving beyond it's moved so far beyond you know working a working man's game to you know the playground of the rich and famous. But I mean I mean Rick. What do you make of all this? Because, I mean, as as um, Steve rightly pointed out, you know, we're we're delighted from the point of view that, you know, Newcastle fans have been given a sense of renewed hope. But, you know, at, at what cost?
2: I mean, I think they would have gotten a sense of renewed hope if it had been any uh, new owner. They could have had Hicks and Gillette and they would have been ecstatic because of who it was that they were getting rid of. And I think there's an issue here, of, like, I, 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 I echo what, what Steve was saying in terms of, look, there's going to be a lot of sweeping statements, but we don't, you know, it's not all Newcastle fans. There are a few who, you know, were out partying and, like, you know, getting rowdy. And, look, you've gotten rid of one of the worst owners in the Premier League I think, you know, in terms of every metric, um, I, when it comes to football, at least. Outside of football, probably not. But in terms of football, you've got really one of the worst owners. And that's something to to celebrate to some extent. It's just... there's the, There's a lot of hypocrisy in this. You know, there's a lot of Newcastle fans I've seen who are celebrating because they're now they they're now one of the richest football clubs in the world just by default automatically and yet just a few months ago a lot of those fans because they were in a club that wasn't in that bracket were calling you know all the clubs that were in the super league you know money grubbing you know all these sort of financial focused Jabs And just like, you know, I I know know with the Super League, it was more of a you're cutting off finances to the bottom rung of the footballing ladder. You know, the you know, the non-leagues, your grassroots, you you know, League One and Two even. Um, But. You know, you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't just sit there for a couple of weeks and go like, you know, it's the likes of city and man United and Liverpool who are ruining football and then celebrate and go on the lash just because you've been bought by like just a Royal family essentially. And it's like, uh, uh, you sit there and you see the, you see the videos, you see the images. I mean, it's, it's things like the, the LGBTQ, Q plus uh group for like fan group for Newcastle came out with a statement and their uh their their general general gist of it was you know this is a positive thing for the club because it gives them the ability or it gives the owners the new owners the ability to show uh you know what they're really about and it gets to show them uh, gets to show the world who, like who they are, and they can get to learn more about our culture, and we uh, and hopefully they can take some aspects from it. I'm sorry, but that's sports washing. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, you know that that's 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 what this is all about. It's not because you know it's you. You can argue that Roman Abramovich actually kind of loves the club and like he'll he'll he'll, he'll throw money at it because it's his plaything. He enjoys. Like, and that, and you know, that's the reason why he was going to the managers, saying like, "We need to. We're buying this player. Make the most of him." Like, there's a reason why Torres was signed, for example. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case with most of these these clubs, like you know, the the cities and whatnot. They're like, you know, Man City's owners seem to be a lot less hands on in that regard, and will more likely pump money into the communities and like the in all these facilities and everything like that in the local area. Um yeah, it just you know you're just giving them an excuse to continue I just you know they don't get a free pass just because they've they've thrown money at your favorite club. I'm sorry. That's not that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. It's like it's frankly that's, that's kind of sickening that a group of people who, you know, in the past have been persecuted for who they are are now just like, yeah, but these guys are all right. Even though they've been guilty of of, of doing that to people who are like us and worse, you know, it's fine because they now own our favorite thing. Like that, that that's not how this should work. And it, 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 frankly, I'm very disappointed that
0: that's the stance that they've taken. I mean, I think it's a shame. I think more, more from the. I mean, I think from our standpoint as as Liverpool fans, um, I mean, I would, I would like to think, and I, I can, I, I think I can presume with relative certainty that the vast majority of Liverpool fans would be opposed to a similar group, a similar group, pardon, um, t- taking ownership of Liverpool. You know, even with the promise of increased, you know, increased finances. I'd I'd like to think that, and I think I can probably presume that. Uh, What do you reckon, Steve? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, it's not even even my club,
1: uh, Newcastle United. And yesterday when I heard the news, I I just... It just, I don't know, it pained me slightly to think that, like, sort of... You know, you you hear about all these allegations and stuff, so obviously you, you can't say things for certainty. But, like... Uh, there are certain things that we do know for certainty um, and like Rick's pointed out some of the, the the crimes against humanity that you sort of you know come from basically the, the way that the, the country is ran from this royal family it's just to think that they are now involved in in, in the Premier League um, in, in such a dodgy way as well like the Premier League's tried their best to sort of keep themselves distanced from this company by putting up all these barriers between them and, and them and um a governing body of some description has is reminded um that the premier league that they um of the sort of crimes basically against humanity that have been committed in saudi arabia or under sort of rule of this of this royal family and it's just why would you need to be reminded of something like that it's it's ridiculous um yeah it's it, it's heartbreaking um and you know a, a lot of reaction is you know a, a lot of people sort of pro the takeover um, are going to be looking at it thinking that other fans of football clubs are just are just bitter. And yeah, to be honest with you, it, a little bit of me is, is definitely a bit uh, It's another club buying its way to success because that's never really been Liverpool's model. Obviously, we've always been near the top. We've always been sort of, you know, financially okay, but we've never splashed money on players. And obviously, if in next summer, Newcastle are throwing 100 mil at Haaland, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit annoyed because I don't feel like they've earned that, you know, in this day and age, and I am just going back to purely football terms here, more than anything, um, getting an owner like this is bigger than winning the champions like three times over. Because now Newcastle are going to cement themselves at the top of football for the next twenty plus years, you know. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I can't really accept any of the positives that we're going to see from Newcastle's new ownership. And um, because of where it comes from and the things it stand for, it. like Rick pointed out, and um, the, the the group uh, that released that statement, and um, the crimes that have been committed against people that are, sort of fall into that um, category, um, you know, y- you can't excuse the things that that, that have gone on um, under the rule of this royal family, and it's just, yeah. You can't you can't take the positives that's going to come from it because you know you'll probably see a boost to the women's team, you'll probably see a boost to the local area in Newcastle, which are good things. But you can't ignore where the money's come from, and you know it's not as if like it's an opportunity for this royal family to now learn about the UK and learn about the West, like it's this newfound land. The West has been the way it has been now for a very very long time,
2: and Wikipedia a lot of has been a thing used... for a while now
1: well there we are you know
2: (laughs) like google's been a thing for a while now it just it's just like what are things like in the west you type it in oh look at all these things oh these these new possibilities that like you know research has always been a thing yeah sorry to cut you off but like it's just you're right it's they're not they're not learning anything from this it's just literally purely financial reasons and just like and pr and credibility and and those kind of buzzwords, like like you mentioned, like all these possible like positives and all that kind of stuff. I think most Liverpool fans, to sort of bring it back to, to Liverpool, uh, I, I think most Liverpool fans, whether you're in the FSG in or FSG out camp, would welcome new owners who had more money to, to pump into the club so long as they came from a clean background. The problem is that doesn't exist. Like, there's not that many billionaires, trillionaires that uh, you know have gotten their money through completely clean methods. You know, like some of the best, like some of the biggest companies in the world, Amazon, for example. If you just need to look at Glassdoor and all the reviews on there to find out what they're truly like as an employer, and, and just to nickel and dime to get the cost down, for like you know, it's just. Escapism to believe that there are that many people that can come in and fix football. The Premier League, when they accepted Chelsea being bought by Abramovich, that was it. You know, Pandora's box is now open. There is no closing it. Like, that's it. You've just opened the door to literally anyone who throws as much money as they can at, you know, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Man United get bought out because let's face it, you know, the Glazers will take a lot of money if, if someone with enough of it came along and that's one of the biggest names on the planet. You know, you go to the furthest reaches of the world and there will be kids there that will know the name Manchester United. Like that's just how big that club is. You know, Liverpool is, is up there, but probably let's face it in the, in the world, Man United has probably got the, 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 the bigger name. So yeah, that's a prime opportunity for someone to come along and buy that club if they had the money that you know Newcastle's owners now do. It's all just—it's sickening. It, it's just sickening. Like, there's no, there's no fixing this problem now. It's that it's done. Football is done. Like I, I I've really gone down the pessimistic rabbit hole now. But football your, is... your
0: former girlfriend would be so disappointed. in Oh, you right she's now. so
2: disappointed in me right now. She's been, she's been disappointed in me for a while now, but. But yeah, uh, like it's just there's there's no coming back from this, you know, unless you start up a new league. Oh wait, we can't set up a new league because it ruins the footballing pyramid. If there was a way of transferring all of those lower tier grassroots. Uh, you know, all the way up to like whatever League One or whatever. Like that, if you were able to transfer those teams over to a brand new footballing pyramid, that is literally the only way you can save football at this point. Because like, it, it, there's, it's just the, the billionaires and like millionaires throwing money at it, like it's Scrooge McDuck having a having a money fight. And it's <laughs> that's that's not what it is. That's not what football is about. That's not what it should be about. But you know it's we've had 15 20 odd years of it and that's that's life now there's a generation of kids that that's all they've known is manchester united chelsea city these massive powerhouse clubs uh that have gotten their money through either buyouts or commercial means you know liverpool are in that but to not to the same extent as say man united are from the commercial side of things it's,
0: it's 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 depressing, really. And um, well, before this gets any depressing, <laughs> or be more depressing, uh, it's. It, I mean, it's a somber note for us to end this on. But and I'm sure it won't be the last time we discuss the topic of Newcastle United's takeover. But for now, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Thank
2: you. Uh, you to- sure that? Are you sure that like, I can't just squeeze one more bad thing in there? I mean, I
0: mean Josh has been in training. Let's not open up. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Curtis Jones is injured as well. I, mean, oh, I, mean, I mean, can Russell, get this even worse. I mean, Fabinho really and Alison Becker might not be, I mean, probably won't be available for Watford. Oh, my God. What have we done? Um, <laughs> I'm going to end it there before it gets any worse. Um, thanks again to Steve Carson and Rick Elliott for joining me today. Pleasure as always. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to us, natter on today. Feel free to hit that subscribe button. And yeah, make sure to join us next week for a preview of Watford. Take care.